Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP, Philadelphia, and online at gtownradio.com. This is What Do You Know About That? A radio show about anything and everything happening in our community, our city, and our world. Here are your hosts, Eric Gershnow and Mary Angela Saavedra. Hey, everybody. Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday, Eric. Happy Thursday, Mary Angela. How's it going? It's going well. We are we are officially in the holiday season, aren't we? Oh, joy. <laughs> yes, we are. We sure it. are. The weather, the food, the commercials. It is here. That's right. My waistline is slowly expanding. <laughs> I'm going to have to spend like the first two months of the new year just to work all this weight off. But Of course. But I've started seeing people in the neighborhood putting up Christmas lights, which I like much more than Halloween lights. So what? I mean, well, I mean, the colors they're, are they're, just prettier. Yeah, I usually. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there it's it's the, the holiday decor is a little more cheery during the Christmas Blues, time. Blues, reds, greens. Halloween's like orange, red sometimes. See, I like orange, purple. just not with brown. <laughs> orange and black is okay. Orange sure. and brown's a no-no. Yeah, I feel you. But yes. Green and red, complementary colors on the color wheel. They go great together. And blue. Who doesn't love it? Blue is a good holiday decorating color. I love it. It's What's true. going on today in science? Well, this day in science, and just for our listeners, this will be cap. Well, actually, no, it's our next episode that'll be capping our yes. year in this day in science. We'll be switching things up next year, but. For today, December 8th, Thursday, in 2010, archaeologists find evidence of ancient civilization under Persian Gulf. Hmm. So archaeologists from the University of Birmingham in England suggested that an area within today's Persian Gulf may have hosted human life 8,000 years ago. Jeff Rose, the lead on the study, proposed that the civilizations might have existed before the Gulf's formation by expansion of the Indian Ocean. Researchers had been encouraged by the recent discovery of dozens of apparently well-built permanent settlements along the shores of the Persian Gulf. They hoped further study could unveil more information about the origin of such civilizations. Well, that... Makes sense to me, right? Because all of the super ancient, ancient civilizations of Mesopotamia and everything, they're all over there. So, and the Persian Gulf is kind of small-ish. Um, so, and bodies of water expand and contract. Yeah, Topographies and change. Cover things. So, I mean, it makes sense to me. I'm, I'm not surprised Well, by considering this that the cradle of humanity exists over in that region. Yeah. And there's so many other civilizations that have built on top of pre-existing civilizations. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me one bit. Yeah. But yes, this was back in 2010. So I, I would it's hope been a minute. <laughs> that there's, yeah, you know, in the past 12 years, perhaps there's been some more developments sure. in that area, but I have yet to research that. Cool. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. That's a thing. So what's going on in the neighborhood? Well, I'm glad you asked. So <laughs> the Acme over on Sedgwick in Germantown is is in the news again. <laughs> is this um, a good thing or a bad thing? <laughs> so that Acme is always on the boards for one thing or another. Um, you know, the por- parking lot is notoriously terrible. 
Everybody hates the parking lot. Somebody's always in an accident in the parking lot. You're just saying that because I dislike the parking no, lot. No, no. The neighborhood groups everybody prove hates that the everybody lot. hates the parking lot. It is it is one of the poorest parking lots. It's really bad um, designed. It is badly designed. Lot, yes. Uh, so people are always talking about you know accidents, fender benders that happened there. Somebody got hit. Their whole grocery cart situation got knocked over by a car kind of speeding around the wrong direction in the parking lot. There's just stuff happens over there. People also can't stand the size of that Acme. It is a particularly small Acme in the scale of Acmes, apparently. Well, um, and you know, since they've started to carry alcoholic beverages, yeah. they've... Lost it, two aisles? Yeah. Yeah, they've condensed <laughs> the aisles for everything else to yep. make room for alcohol consumption. Sure. Some people will say that's a plus. I mean, that the alcohol is there now, because, you know, how long did we live right behind sure. that Acme and wish that we could just walk up the corner to get booze, and now you can, but... It is. It is very cozy and cramped in there. So oftentimes there are people complaining about that on here. But today's gripe <laughs> is about the shopping carts. So how many times when we lived in that neighborhood on that street did we find rogue shopping carts on our street just laying over? You know, I mean, I, I used to always oftentimes, take pictures of them. So I would see them on the sidewalk pushed just behind the like the edge of the the property land where the store is at so mm-hmm. right before the houses started yep. but i've seen some on the sidewalk there yeah yes I, I used to always take pictures of them and be like go home shopping cart you're drunk like because <laughs> it would be always be like tipped over and just like you know in a, in a weird spot well to combat that yes they have moved to the aldi method do you remember do you know what you have to do at aldi when you want a shopping cart oh you have to Pay to play. You got to put a quarter in. Yeah. Now, it's not paying. You get your quarter back, you right? You do get your quarter back. So that is where things are not clear. This whole post at present has 79 comments. <laughs> Most people referring to the fact that you don't, in fact, pay. You use a quarter and then you get your quarter back at the end. You can also trick the slot by sticking the back end of your key in so that it <laughs> thinks a quarter has gone in and your cart will come out. But the idea is that this will keep you from, A, walking off with the cart, because, as this post educated me to today that I was unaware of, apparently when the bag ban went into effect, Mm -hmm. people started taking carts. Do you know that that is why there are no hand baskets at the Acme anymore? Yeah. Because people took the hand basket home. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So Philadelphia was like, no more bags. And people were like, well, then I'm taking this cart. (laughs) <laughs> because this is Philly, y'all. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> I know. I think it's kind of amazing, actually. But anyway, yes. So this caused a whole lot of ruckus today where people were like, Agni wants my quarter. Agni, they, I can't believe I have to pay to get this basket. It's like, well, uh. I mean, you don't really have to pay. I mean, you do. But then you get your quarter back and it's a freaking quarter. And it's literally so that you will put the cart back instead of taking the cart home because that's where we are now. There are no hand baskets anymore at any mm. of the Acmes because we've all taken them away. And now to preserve the few push carts with wheels that are left, you have to put a quarter in to get it. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but 79 people on this post as of right now, oh, 80, we just crossed 80, 80 oh, people uh, have some strong feelings about this. 
Yeah. So it does help to cut back on missing carts. Don't tell me you don't see Acme carts all over the place. True story. It's an incentive for you to properly return the cart versus leaving it in a spot, crosswalk, or pathway. Also, good point, because in that terrible, terrible parking lot, there's that little median in the middle where you get to walk. And how many times have you had to trip over a cart there? Yeah. No, that's terrible. So I'm sorry. I have to interrupt here for a second. But a quarter doesn't seem like a huge incentive to me. Like, I could see people being, maybe they'll grumble over having to, like, procure a quarter. But I could see, you know, a quarter being an afterthought. And especially if you've got a basket full of groceries and you don't have any bags, does that, is that enough to deter people? Well, I mean, the other piece is that, that don't the carts have the little like foot thing that makes it kind of hard to really take them far? Like you can't really push them long distance. That's why people always abandon them somewhere because they're like, ugh, this thing gets like stuck. But even that's not enough. Even that is, you know, they still. What do you know about that? I don't know. I just know that it's a whole thing. Well, the last thing they said was now you don't have to front end hands out in the cold heat rain to get collected carts. Oh, that's the other piece is that now the staff doesn't have to go out. Right. You have to bring the cart all the way back to the front so you can reclaim your quarter. So you can reclaim your quarter. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a decent idea. But well, you know, I would say this: Philly is probably the best place to do ex- incentivized ex- social experiments like that, only because I think we represent perhaps—I don't want to say the worst case demographic, but in terms of undesirable behavior and how we curtail that, I, I think there's a lot of potential for learning implementing programs like that yeah. in Philadelphia. See I what agree. happens. <laughs> Give it a try. See what it sticks to the wall. Not, maybe, yeah. maybe this won't. Maybe, maybe this will like erupt in some other kind of weird, odd behavior, like people transplanting fixtures on property, you know, people's front yards to other front <laughs> yards. Anyway. We'll see. That's I mean, interesting. I, I, I kind of want to go drive around there now and see if I see any carts outside of the, the collection area. Who knows? I mean, we were just there. I didn't notice it, but I also didn't need to get a cart. So yeah. um, I wasn't looking for one. But if you have some thoughts on this, you should definitely shoot us an email at whatdoyouknowgtown at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your opinions about dropping a quarter in the Acme slot to get a shopping cart. Yep. I say bring back the hand baskets, but they're right. If they don't have bags, people just take the hand basket home. How many uh, people got That's really hand crazy and unfortunate. True story. Wow. Um, so there's that. The only other thing I have on my neighborhood radar is when we were talking about FDR Park uh, on a previous episode a few months ago, right? We were talking about how they wanted to turn it into like municipal soccer fields. Right. Well, that was tip of the iceberg for a much bigger project because it is has has i should say come to my attention that philadelphia won the bid for the world's cup in 2026 which means the world cup is going to be here in south philly oh uh-huh. my god <laughs> that's going to be a challenge for transportation that's going to be a challenge oh. for housing people right because you need hotels so i'm wondering if in the next four years we're going to see oh, an explosion see some... of developments oh my god you are down there to prepare for that um philly's been fighting for over i think it said 16 17 years trying to get the bid for the world well cup, if you think so. about it too there's been a big push to rejuvenate that area mm-hmm. you know there's the area that's around 
I guess it's the 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 naval base down there. Yep. Right. Naval yard. Yeah. The naval yard. Thank you. And there's a lot of businesses that are cropping up in that area, and even within the the naval yard itself, there are businesses drawing a lot of people down there. There's some biofarm that's down there, so I could see this, um, you know, being huge. But the question is, what happens afterwards, though? Okay, so we build up all this infrastructure in anticipation of the World Cup being hosted, and we have the World Cup, and then everyone goes away. What what happens after that? Does that just become more vacant property? Yeah, it's about... This is what they do when it's the Olympics, right? They rent out the space for other events. And it is, it's actually really interesting that it won't just be in the U.S. We'll be the U.S. host city, or we're one, sorry, one of the U.S. host cities. So there'll be several U.S. host cities. Then there'll be several cities in Canada and then Mexico as well. So this is pretty crazy. We are one of several cities in the United States that will be hosting the World Cup. So, so that makes me feel better. Now, um, I'm <laughs> curious, I mean, because you've already got stadiums down there. Could they... Oh, yeah. It's, so this says Philadelphia's Lincoln Financial Field. So it's not about that. It's about the housing for the people who are coming, right? right. The the athletes and then the people coming to watch because people right. will be coming from all over the place. But here are the United States cities, 11 of them, that will be hosting in 2026. It's Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Houston, Kansas City, Los Angeles, Miami, New York slash New Jersey at the MetLife Stadium, Philadelphia, Lincoln Financial Field, San Francisco, and Seattle. Then it's going to be in Toronto and Vancouver in Canada, and then in Guadalajara, Mexico City, and Monterey in Mexico. So there'll so, only be like maybe a game or two that they'll actually host here in Philadelphia, right? Yes, it might be more than a game or two because it's a it's a series, right? So there'll be several games they'll host here, but it's hard to say where the big ones will be depending on who it is that's playing where. Right. That, that won't be announced till later. But either way... I mean, that's still gonna be a lot of people coming here. It's huge. Yeah, it's a it's a big deal. Oh my gosh, that's all I got. (laughs) Wow. Well, that's that's gonna be plenty. So yeah, keep on the lookout uh, for. Yeah, stay tuned. They'll be announcing things as time goes on. I'll be interested to see what new hotels pop up down in South Philly. Nice. Well, what's our main topic, Eric? Well, our main topic, since we're in the throes of the holiday season, as you so pointed out at the top of the hour, from last episode, we talked about Thanksgiving, and mm-hmm. you exposed some myths of Thanksgiving, which I, I thought was really them. cool. <laughs> the hidden truths, which yes. I think uh, a lot of people, I'm sure, were familiar with, but maybe some that they weren't. And I thought, well, we've got... Two episodes this month for December. One, certainly, I thought would be worth dedicating to Christmas. But that will be your topic. Okay. Because mine, I thought, would be worth looking into was Hanukkah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Hanukkah. So what do you know about Hanukkah, Mary Angela? I know you light some candles. I know it lasts eight nights. I... No, there's a song about a dreidel, which is basically like a top <laughs> that you spin around and you get chocolate candy. I mean, chocolate coins. 
or chocolate candy that looks like coins <laughs> if you spin the dreidel the right way. Um, but I'm a little gray on exactly what the dreidel represents and how it works. Um, and I know that the candy money is called gelt. Yes. And yes. Um, yeah, I know that a lot of families get eight nights of presents and the <laughs> presents get bigger as you if get you're lucky. further down the line of days. So it's like little gifts at the beginning and then on the eighth night, some big giant gift. I have no idea. That's that's all I know. <laughs> okay, so kind of in a nutshell, you could you could say that that's Hanukkah. I thought it would be worth maybe going through the story a little bit. Sure. You know, some people probably know the story. Some people don't. You just don't know these things. <laughs> so I thought I'd share just a little history. We've only got a half hour here, so I'm not going to dig deep into the weeds, but maybe just share some facts about that particular time period and kind of segue into some myths or rather misunderstandings about the holiday sure. and maybe give folks a little more well-rounded sense of what Hanukkah really is. All right, hit me. Okay, so the story takes place in the second century BC. The second temple of Jerusalem had been overtaken. Imagine even way, way back when you had large civilizations. I mean, this is really the era of the Roman Empire. Greek culture was very much dominating that region, and that's spilling over into the Middle East. Okay. So you have Jerusalem, which is kind of sandwiched between Europe and then the rest of the Middle East. So you have Syrians coming from the east that were extending their empire, and it was specifically Antiochus. He yes. was the, the Syrian emperor. And apparently there's not just one Antiochus. He loved his name so much, or perhaps to um, cement his dynasty, all of his successors were also named Antiochus. Well, I mean, Caesar did yeah, the same thing. Yeah, exactly, I mean, right? That's what did. she did. Sure. So... Antiochus III was totally cool with Judea having their religious freedom, doing their thing, but it was Antiochus IV that is the one who is the, depicted in the story of Hanukkah as the one to invade Jerusalem, slaughter a lot of people, and then take over the temple and convert the temple into a temple dedicated to Zeus— and it was really the the start of the conflict came when Mattathias, who was a priest within the Jewish community that was pushed to commit a sacrifice in honor of Zeus. And he was like, I'm not going to do that. And as a matter of fact, he took the measures to the extreme and he actually killed the priest. And that's kind of what started the conflict. But so folks understand, this wasn't just like an overnight or maybe a few months. This was like years of war that ended up erupting. And you're talking about thousands of people going to war. And what made Mattathias, and it was actually his five sons, which are known as the Maccabees, Right, sure. you've heard that term yes. before, mm -hmm. so that's actually a given surname, and interestingly, Maccabee means the hammer. But depending on how it's defined in either Hebrew or Aramaic, there are slightly different definitions to it or meanings to it behind it. But it really was given to reflect the the military prowess that these guys had. So. Mattathias actually passed away during conflict, and then his son uh, Judah actually took up the mantle to lead 
the approach, what made them so successful was their use of like guerrilla warfare tactics. Because their community was so much smaller, their armies were so much smaller, they had to, they couldn't fight directly on the battlefield. They had to use other tactics to win back their lands and then ultimately the temple of Jerusalem. And so that's really the celebration, right? They come back into the temple and they rededicate it and it's the the candelabra which is kept lit traditionally in the temple. They only had so much oil to last for so many days. They lit the candelabra in, and with the hopes that it would last long enough for them to procure more oil, and the story goes it lasted eight days, gave them plenty of time, and that's what we celebrate was the eight days of Hanukkah. Now, the menorah that they used actually back in the day didn't have eight branches on it, nine counting the center candle that we use when we're lighting the menorah for Hanukkah, right? Well, the right, menor- because they didn't know it was going to be eight days. <laughs> exactly, right? Just- so the candelabra actually had seven branches on it, and those branches symbolize knowledge, wisdom. So that I thought was kind of interesting because I, I had no idea. Now right. there's the, the Hanukkah candelabra because of eight days. Right, and exactly. The, yeah. So fun fact, the story of Hanukkah doesn't actually appear in the Torah. Do you know what the Torah is, by the way? Yeah, it's like the big scroll that's basically like the Bible. For... Yeah, it's basically like the Jewish Testament, yeah. right? So the, the scroll was written many, many years ago, and apparently predates the story of Hanukkah. It is mentioned in the New Testament where Jesus attends a a feast of dedication. That's what it's referring to Hanukkah, but it's not actually in the Torah, which I thought was kind of interesting. That is interesting. So when, I guess they just started celebrating it after it happened, and it just got folded into the culture and became a Yeah, so like many other holidays, what we celebrate now isn't necessarily what was celebrated back in the day, even down to the details like the dreidel and latkes even. Mm -hmm. Those weren't elements that were part of the celebration. A lot of these inventions actually are American inventions. It's quite interesting. So Uh, the dreidel, and tell me about that. So I'm going to get to that. I'm going to get to that here in a little bit. I have a nice little list of things that you thought you knew about Hanukkah, okay. but aren't actually true. Okay. And this is more for the the Gentiles, <laughs> the folks out there who are not Jewish. Because I think most people who are Jewish realize, number one, Hanukkah isn't really that important of a holiday. Yeah, you've said that to me a few times, and so, I always find that very interesting. A lot of people think Hanukkah's the holiday of holidays among Jews, but the fact is, it's not. Part of why it's so celebrated, particularly in the States, honestly has a lot to do with, I don't want to say assimilation, but building the sense of community. You have folks who are celebrating Christmas, which is a very prominent holiday in the States. It seemed appropriate to have that parallel celebration of Hanukkah, but it's it's not like, again, a lot of the major holidays either celebrate um, aspects tied to the, the religion itself or like things like Rosh Hashanah, which is the ushering in the new year. But this is just celebrating an event that had taken place. And truth be told, the story of the oil lasting for eight days, it's not really 100% certain that's actually a true statement. Sure. If anything, it's something that's built into the lore to help build this community around the celebration itself, right? Mm -hmm. 
Its elevation actually occurred going back to the, the 19th century. So like many other holidays, the 19th century is infamous for ushering in yes. new, you know, Let's celebrate of, these things. Exactly. Right. exactly. Here's yeah. something new to add to the culture. This is great. So it was actually rabbis that were concerned about Jewish children feeling envious of their Christian neighbors, realized that Hanukkah could let kids indulge in joyous occasion around the same time of the year. Uh, what's interesting is um, historian Diane Ashton recounts in her book Hanukkah in America a very similar sentiment. Interestingly, just to add another factoid, Diane Ashton was a historian who, she passed away in 1987. She was a, a very huge Jewish historian, and she was here in Philadelphia. Of course she was. So apparently Philadelphia is the home to more scholars of American Jewish history than any other region in the United States. This does not surprise me Doesn't at all. Doesn't surprise me one bit, but I thought that's a really interesting factoid. Okay, uh... A number two sort of myth, if you will, the Hanukkah celebrates the fight for religious freedom, right? There's the story of the Syrians invading and and the, and the Maccabees, you know, revolting to, to, to reinstate, you know, their belief system. But the truth is, again, you had these communities that were constantly warring with each other. But even within the own Jewish community, because, again, this is the time of the Roman Empire. A lot of the Roman influence had already pervaded into the communities, and you had this split that was actually occurring. So you had what would be considered more traditional Jewish faith-based practices, where you had what were referred to as Hellenistic Jews— Folks who saw the value, some of the value that the Roman Empire brought, like the technologies and, you know, the roadways and the systems and uh, engineering and things like that. And so you had this fission that was already occurring within the Jewish community in Jerusalem already. And so it was just kind of aggravated by this. So during this time where you had warring between Jerusalem and the Syrians and Romans and such, you also had infighting with Hellenistic Jews, which eventually got ousted and went bye-bye. Hmm. You know, it's kind of an eye-opener. So yeah. digging up some of this history, is it, it kind of frames the Maccabees to be like religious zealots. It, and it seems a bit like a far cry from the way they're portrayed as being, you know, heroic and brave and all this stuff. It's just like, huh, a bit of a, bit of a head-scratcher. Yeah. And I mentioned about latkes being a, a traditional food of Hanukkah. And, and they really aren't so much. This is, again, more of an American thing. I think um, it was probably, well, if anything, popularized or maybe adopted by Yiddish folk, which some of Yiddish culture is very prevalent in Jewish culture, American Jewish culture today, as you can appreciate. Sure. But if you think about the region where, you know, the Middle East— People weren't really serving up fried potatoes so much. Right. It would be very hard to grow a potato in that region. Yeah. So latkes were apparently originated in Eastern Europe and not ancient Israel. And they were actually first made with curd cheese rather than potatoes. So it was oh. like fried cheese, which honestly to me sounds really yeah. good. Yeah. I was like, I'd rather have a I'd probably fried go for that. cheese latke. Well, I mean, as we established with Thanksgiving when we were talking about it, all those sort of traditional Thanksgiving foods weren't rooted in any kind of... New England pilgrim feast either. So right. we've established that oftentimes people didn't holiday serve foods, at the first Thanksgiving. Right, just have to do with the people who are then celebrating the holiday when you create the holiday. So if we're saying that that you know the nineteenth century generated this holiday as a form of assimilation 
for, you know, Jews in America wanting to have a holiday that was in tandem with Christmas, then it would make sense that they'd be like, okay, and what foods are we eating? Oh, we're eating these foods. We're eating latkes. We're eating right. this. So, yeah. That yeah. Makes so sense. what's interesting is if, say, you were to go to Europe, there are Jewish people in Greece, and those people tend to eat more things like fried fish during uh, ce- celebration of Hanukkah. They also serve fried apples, apple fritters. Oftentimes you'll see things like uh, semolina, almonds, you know, nuts, dried fruits, all being part of, de- again, depending on where you're at and who's celebrating Hanukkah, some of those elements are a little bit different. But to k- maybe cap this segment off, and again, just keeping it brief here, you asked questions about dreidels. Yes. So where do dreidels come from? Or what's the significance of the dreidel? The story that was handed down to me when I went to Hebrew school was you had this period of time where religion was being suppressed. You had folks who, in order to stay engaged, they had to practice their religion in secret. So the thought was the dreidel was a means of doing that. So it's a game, as you've seen. You know, you spin the top, it lands on a particular side. You're, you're basically gambling. And that's what it was seen as. And, and the idea of the story was that folks could play dreidel in sight and not be suspected of, you know, heresy or whatever by you uh. know, practicing religion. But some of what I've come across says... It's probably not really the case. There, There isn't a lot of weight to that story. So the exact origins of the dreidel game aren't really clear, but there's evidence that suggests that gamblers from Babylon use blocks decorated with images that symbolize winning and losing. So aspects of gambling. So a lot of the letters that were originally on it, it, it truly was a gambling game. But the modern use of the dreidel, when we're talking about the context of Hanukkah, there are four sides to the dreidel and there are four letters. So the letters inscripted on the dreidel sides make up the acronym from the Hebrew saying, Nes Gadal Hayasham, which translates to a great miracle happened here. So it breaks down to there, there's a whole separate alphabet in Hebrew and the, the letters then that are used are the Nun, the Gimel, the Hay, and the Shin that are the acronym for that saying. So, a great miracle occurred here. <laughs> That's what it means. And then, of course, there's gelt, Hanukkah gelt, which gelt is a Yiddish word, basically just translates to money. <laughs> right. And what's a holiday without having some chocolate? So, they right. use chocolate coins. Chocolate money. Yeah. <laughs> So that's cool. Yeah. I mean, that's, again, a very <laughs> consolidated brief story of Hanukkah. I like it. A lot of that stuff I did not know. Yeah. Well, Hanukkah's coming up here on the 19th of December. So, yeah. Get out your menorahs and your gelt and your dreidels and fry some latkes and let's have a party. Or cheese curd or whatever you want to do <laughs> and enjoy. Happy Hanukkah. Everyone. Happy Hanukkah. All right. Well, stick around. We're uh, going to be back in a few with our musical guest, right? We have a great interview coming up. Very special guest indeed. Excellent. Stay tuned. You're listening to 92.9 FM G-Town Radio. We are back with our segment, Who Are the Musicians in Your Neighborhood? And we are really excited to be joined this evening by Stephen Wise, who's joining us. Very special guest. Very special guest. Hello, Stephen. Hello. Hi, folks. 
Thanks. How are you? So good. Thank you so much for being with us. We are really excited to talk to you tonight. Let's just get started and, and jump in and have you tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? How long have you been making music? Where are you from? All that good stuff. Well, yeah, um, I've, um, I'm definitely a musician because my voice is uh, frosty from uh, a number of gigs over the weekend. So, yes, I, I've been a musician uh, pretty much all my life various instruments and singing and vocal and i'm from syracuse new york the cold snow belt of syracuse new york and um yeah that's where i that's where i um hail from and then i lived in philadelphia for many years and now i live in jamaica Ooh, that's a big change from syracuse <laughs> right um how how long have you been making music did you start playing an instrument at, at, at a young age or well, I, I realized that I could sing at a very early age. So I, I was singing every every song that I heard on the radio at that time. I'm not going to go into my age, but at that time, everything was playing on the radio. And we used to have four. I will say this, but it'll give you, it'll kind of give it away. We used to have 45 records, right? Vinyl records, mm -hmm. 45. And we used to play the records and, and I used to learn all of the songs. Um, like the Mocha. So I, I've told this story before. My mother was a jazz, a jazz buff. She she listened to a lot of jazz. So my room was next to her room. So she would come in very late at night and play like all of the greats, like Billie Holiday, Sarah Vaughn, <clears throat> Nancy Wilson, Dinah Washington, Gloria Lynn. These are all of the, some of the great classic female female jazz singers. And then, of course, she would play, you know, John Coltrane and and uh, <clears throat> Charlie Parker and Harold Land and various, various jazz masters. So all of this music was going in my head subconsciously because because I could hear it in my sleep. So I had this deep jazz sense in my in my being ingrained into my DNA. And then. Other times I would go to my cousin's house across town and they were all listening to the, the, the Motown hits of the day. So then you had this mesh of the R&B, the soul music, and then the jazz. So wouldn't you know it, the style, my style now, I would have to say is uh, a blend of soul, reggae, and jazz. Mm. Nice. That's nice. You know, so that, that was very, that was revealing to me, you know. But now the reggae, of course, came much, much later in you know, my adult life, being inspired by Jamaica and Jamaican music and then actually living in Jamaica. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I know you downplay it right now, you being cool, but just for our listeners, you have quite an illustrious career, not only as a musician, but as an entertainer. So... I know, um, and I go, this is kind of, again, exposing age a little bit here, but you broke through, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were on an episode of Star Search back in the day. You were on stage with Mr. Ed McMahon, right? Yes. So so just, yes. just can you just tell yeah. me a little bit about that? So I auditioned in Philadelphia, and I got accepted. I went down to Florida, and where they were you know, filming it, and I, I made it to the semifinals. Right. Mm -hmm. And the song that I shouldn't have done, I did. I did a, um, a melodramatic song by Stevie Wonder called All is Fair in Love. 
all is fair in love, you know? Mm-hmm. And and it was so, such a serious song. And the guy who was the forerunner, the, the front runner, he came on with this fun, exciting, upbeat song. And he just stole the crowd from me, boy, I tell you, you know? And so I, I only got to go to semifinals, but it was good, you know? Yeah. And Ed McMahon, he was a real cool guy in person. Yeah, he was, he was very cool. So that was just one part of it. After that, I um, was working with Stevie Wonder. I flew out to LA. Stevie Wonder paid the rent for five years. I got to sing on two of his albums. He was producing a group that I was in that I got recruited into called Mix. And so Mix was the big project of the day. So Stevie Wonder had always fired to be a producer. He did so with his backup singers, Wonder Love, which had uh, Denise Williams, Minnie Ripperton at one point, and several others, several, Shirley Brewer, who's from Philadelphia, by the way, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they were Wonder Love. So he was always trying to become a producer and start a record company aside from Motown. And, you know, he, he's always, always had a problem doing that because he's a superstar. Mm-hmm. Very typical that superstars, it's hard for them to be artists and at the same time producers and record executives. Mm-hmm. Because they're always, they're always being pulled in 20 different directions. Like I remember one time, I was sitting with Steve. Well, we were sitting with Stevie. We got all, we're all excited about the next day to get this session going. And we called down to the studio because you always have to call security. And and so they said, oh, y'all didn't hear? Stevie just, just flew to Africa. We're like, Ugh. so this was typical. I remember being next to him. He got a phone call from Kodak Film Company, and they were offering him $250,000 to come in and do a commercial. Mm-hmm. Wow. So he's always being pulled from all different directions. And rightfully so, you know, his artistry is, it speaks for itself, right? Mm-hmm. So he's he had difficulty trying to get into the pr- production game of, of other artists. And for, from what I understand, a lot, a lot of superstar artists would have that same issue, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. But, you know, in five years, we spent a lot of close time together in his studio because he was a Taurus and I was a Taurus. So we we met we meshed really well. So when the other guys would go home to bed, Stevie doesn't start getting cranked up until midnight. Mm. Because that's when because at that time, people aren't bothering him. People aren't pulling at him. Right. Right. Everybody's falling asleep. So we would we would get down. He would be like, yo, what do you think about this? What do you think about this groove right here? <laughs> yeah, man. And I'd be like, and I'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. But 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 one time I told him that it, we was doing. He was recording his album. I uh, forget the album, but the song was "Skeletons in Your Closet." Mm-hmm. And and he he said, "What do you think about? It? You think it's danceable?" Because he was always very um, insecure about being on the charts. And and it had to be, and, and the whole thing is, it's got to be danceable. It's got to be danceable. You, right. you want to be able to play it in the club for it to really break. So he would like, he was like, yo, you think it's danceable? And I listened and I listened and I rocked with it, you know? And I said, you know what? I think it needs to be, and I don't remember whether it was supposed to be a little bit faster or a little bit slower, but I told, I told him what I felt. Mm-hmm. And he started listening and he started imagining it to the tempo that I kind of like pointed out. 
He's like, yeah, 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 that's right. So he called up to the front, which he had a, a, a truck with the recording studio in a, in a truck. Oh, my God. He called up to Gary. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He called up to Gary O, who was his engineer. He said, yo, pull that track back up. And see, Gary O had just finished a mix that probably took him like maybe a day and a half to mix. Uh-huh. And he and he was almost burnt at this point. Mm-hmm. So he was really upset that, that he knew that I suggested this. So he called up the other guys in the group and he said, yo, come get this, mm-hmm. you know, that's right. Come get this fool because he's starting a whole lot of trouble down here at the studio. So the guys called me up and they said, yo, man, what are you doing down there? What are you, You're causing all kind of trouble down there. I, well, I, cussed, I cussed them all out. I said, man, bump y'all. Stevie asked me, you know, Stevie asked me what I thought and I told him. So when I told Steve, I said, man, Steve, you got me in trouble. He said, what? He said, what? I told him what happened. Man, he started cussing. Oh, <laughs> he, no. he, he called up, he called up Gary and said, track back up. Boom, 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 boom. And uh-huh. don't you know the tempo that I suggested made the record? Nice. Of course. Yeah. So that's a little piece of history there, you know? That's Love nice. it. Love it. That's nice. It was all kind of adventures like that, you know? <laughs> So you've played with some other notable names in the R&B industry, just, I mean, beyond Stevie Wonder. I mean, not to yeah. say that that's not the most notable for sure, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I went on tour with Patti LaBelle. I actually sang on Jungle Fever, the movie Jungle, the movie mm-hmm. Jungle Fever. Mm-hmm. I sang on Stevie's uh, soundtrack. The title track, Jungle Fever, I actually sang with Boyz II Men. Nice. It was Boyz II Men and myself. And yeah, that, that was that was pretty cool. There's some famous reggae artists, um, Luciano, Luciano, uh, Maxi Priest, mm-hmm. that I've sang with and played with and whatnot. So those are those are to, to name a few. I've got a lot of records, background songs. Oh, I, when I did the Soul Train Cruise last March, mm-hmm. Gerald Alston of the Manhattans, the Manhattans were on were on the show, and so I got a chance to to catch up to Gerald, and I said, Gerald, you remember the song "Distant Lover"? I don't know how how many people out there remember "Distant Lover." "Distant Lover" was a a song of Marvin Gaye's. So Gerald Alston cut a version of it, and actually Doug Grigsby was was the producer. Our brother, mm. Doug Grigsby, was the producer. And we did the background, me and the guys in the group, we did the background. And let me tell you, bro, that was some of the sweetest background I think I've ever cut. Mm. And don't you know Motown did not put that song out? They felt it was too long and too slow or something. And I mean, listen, for them, it was, I think it's a crime for them to hold back that record. It would have been a smash hit, I'm telling you. But that's that's the nature of the business, right? right? Well, tell us what you've been doing these days, I mean, you know, I I met you what it's been ten years ago now, and you were you were fronting a a, a pretty awesome party band <laughs> that was, was quite yeah, entertaining. Yeah. Listen, hey, listen, that rates very high in in my you know in my accomplishments um, because we had an, I would easily say the number one wedding band, yeah, a party band in Philadelphia in the tri-state you know area, definitely, and we set the mold for having black musicians in the band mm-hmm. uh, at the time that we started, you know, there was a lot of um, the typical was a lot of white musicians accomplished white musicians and to have a front line of all black singers, you know, was unheard of. Mm-hmm. And so we did it and, you know, it became a thing and all of all of the, the new wedding bands coming up 
started to follow our lead and do that. And we were we were looking at three hundred over three hundred dates a year. Mm. And oh, it was it was ridiculous. So so we we said, you know, let's form another band because we're turning away too much work. So they beat the first band was called the Cutting Edge Orchestra. Then there was the Cutting Edge Two. Then it turned into three. <laughs> and then it turned into four. So you had all these all all these these four bands and you know, like just taking the market. As a matter of fact, some really great musicians came out of the, that. That um, so you got Andre Andre Harris, who became a very big producer, the one that went, went with the Roots, James Poiser. Mm-hmm. James mm. Poiser went. He played with the keyboard with the Roots, and he became a big producer, phenomenal keyboard player. So a lot of people have passed through our camp, you know, and went on. J- Clay Sears, Clay Sears, just won. Did you know that Clay Sears just won an Oscar, Eric? Really? No, I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, man, he, he did a soundtrack um, and won an Oscar for it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so the the last generation of Edge was my by far my favorite because, and Eric, by the way, Eric, yours truly was, was a part of that unit. <laughs> and, and we, and in a short time, and you know what made it so special? Because the people that were in that unit had respect for the music and they had respect for Doug and my expertise mm-hmm. on on the production end of it, and we were and, and the chemistry was just crazy, and and people felt it, and we we you know we we really got some mileage in the short time that we were together. Yeah, we got some mileage, you know. Yeah, I always enjoyed and every show that I saw, which wasn't many, but the the few I did was always a good time. <laughs> always. Yeah, you can help with. Feel that the chemistry, you know, yep. and it translated. Um, because it was love, man. We, you know, we, yep. we were in love with the music, no you know. So, and um, yeah. So then I moved to then I moved to Jamaica. Yes. And um, m- making plenty of music in Jamaica here, but uh, yeah, I'm sitting in my little recording studio, and, and I'm, I'm perform quite a bit here. Yeah. Yeah, you know, so, so tell reg- tell us a little reg- bit about that. What what kind of music are you making these days, and where do you play? What do you do? Well, I do a lot of private parties because I, I've done private parties for so long. It's just a real natural, you know, natural thing. So now I'm doing quite a bit of private parties, and I have a um, a steady job uh, at a resort down here in, in Jamaica, called in, in in a little beach town called Treasure Beach, and all through COVID. The two years, mm-hmm. all my musician friends from Philly to L.A. to New York to even in Jamaica, nobody was working. Mm-hmm. Right? right? Nobody could nobody could get work because nobody, you know, yeah. there were no gigs. So this guy that 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 owns this this villa or this resort boutique resort, he had enough sense to invite and be welcoming to Jamaicans. Well, whereas the other uh, resorts in the area, they only cater to international guests. Right. Right. So therefore they did, they, they were like a ghost town, mm-hmm. but this guy, so now the rich Jamaicans in, from Kingston, they couldn't fly out on vacation. They go oh, vacation. Right. So they came to, the, they came to the South coast. They came to treasure beach. Mm. So, so I had, I had, um, I, I worked every weekend all throughout, all throughout COVID. It's got my chops real tight. Yeah. Nice. You know, real tight. 
Wow. Yeah, that's, yeah, a, that's a cool story to it, hear because we always talk to musicians who are like, I didn't do anything for you know a year and a half. <laughs> yeah. And it's exactly. like, it's yeah. It's a blessing. People, they, man, everybody was crying, yeah. you know? That when, before I left to come to Jamaica, my writing really suffered. Um, writers block like crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so what I realized when I came down here took a couple months, but all of a sudden the ideas started flowing. Mm-hmm. And what I realized is that up in the big cities, the bandwidth, the mental bandwidth, is very crowded in the big cities because there's so much information, so much data so much stuff going on everything's pulling from all different directions right mm-hmm. the mental bandwidth is just like it's very very tight you know so coming down here you got to realize that my my complete priorities change so many schedules right i get up in the morning i feed feed the dogs i feed the chick tie the dogs up and feed the chickens let the chickens come out in the yard you know what I mean? Life is very simple. Mm-hmm. I go out in the yard and, and get a mango off the tree or, or coconut or, you know, breadfruit. Have you all ever? I haven't tried it, but I've heard phenomenal. of it. Yeah. So, yeah, it's phenomenal, right? And all kind of fruit that if I named it, you wouldn't it wouldn't even ring up <laughs> you because it's just very different, very exotic and, and loaded with vitamins. and I mean, just superfoods all through my yard. Yeah. So you have that kind of thing going on. So like, and and everything slows down here. Everything's a lot slower. So the ideas, man, just started flowing. Yeah. You know? So my writing, my writing came back and I have a a reggae album to show for it, you know? Nice. Whereas even, even some of the songs that I had written previously that I did over again, I added different verses. I added different things to really complete. I could see, I could see the perspective of the song mm-hmm. and what what really needed to go, you know, where it need, needed to go and directionally, as well as just to, to even be more expressive, you know, mm-hmm. and more from the heart and soul, you know. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, tell us about the song we're gonna hear. Yeah, we know so in that hear? vein, you have because I I know there's some tunes that you've had written in the pocket that we used to perform and just for our listeners you also had performed under a different moniker and that was Roz Khatri right and that's is that what you still perform as in in Jamaica or well I'll tell you so okay so Khatriel Khatriel is my spiritual name I'll say and my art and and was my artist name in certain circles so Mm -hmm. like in the wedding circle I kept it real, you know, real government, so to speak, you know, yeah. um, legal, legal name. Right. And but in 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 this different spiritual circles and artistic, more artistic circles, I went as Catriel and really Stephen and Catriel really mean almost the same thing. But one is in Hebrew mm-hmm. and one is, you know, one is in Greek, one is from Greek and Stephen means crown mm-hmm. and Catriel means L is my crown right so so it, when i came to jamaica i shortened it to to ross country because i you know i have the the, the locks right mm-hmm. so i said yeah man let me go let me, let me go as our rasta man you know yeah. so it's a ross country right so eric so this is what happened i was in the studio 
thing love the song you're talking the song you're talking about and the engineer said he you know when i signed my check it it came in as Stephen wise he said yo man why are you not using that name i said well you know to miss my artist my artist name is country man you know i'm like ras country mm -hmm. said nah man Stephen wise wrong brother he said it so passionately till i had to go and meditate on that you know yeah, and I got up one one morning, a couple months after. I said, "He's right. Let me just brand my name, you know, and let me just build the brand around Stephen Wise, and the rest was history." Yeah, I think it's I think it's a brilliant brand, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so what are we gonna hear? So this tune here, uh, again, this is a tune that we've played in the past, but you said you've you've done some updates to this. The tune is called Aquarius Dawning, and is there a title for the album that this song is being released on? Yes, it's uh, the album is called Surrender to Love. Okay. Great. So let's take a listen.
Yeah, that is a good tune. That tune always makes me move, and I always feel joy when I listen to it. It's it's a nice song. What what was the impetus for yeah. that that song? Okay, so you know we're living in the end of the age of Pisces. Mm-hmm. So every two thousand years, a universal universal change uh, happens. Mm-hmm. So they say that they say that age of Pisces was represented archetypically by the age of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Because when about a Christianity has been here for 2000 years, right? For the most part. Right. That phenomenon happened 2000 years ago, age of Pisces. So now in the age of Aquarius, age of Aquarius is symbolic of information and more light. Mm-hmm. So when you really about that, just look at the phenomenon of internet. The world expanded so much in this short time. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a, a, a definite influence of the Aquarian age coming in, yep. right? You feel because, it. Because, yeah, right. Because because now where people people would have to, it would take months or years for people to communicate together from one part of the globe to the other. Now it's just instantaneous. You know, it's like everything, everything and technology is 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 exponential is moving at an exponential rate right information and knowledge is encoded in light right Mm -hmm. so that would explain why awareness you know spiritual awareness intellectual awareness is rapidly rapidly increasing you know so that's what the song really about very cool awesome well, tell us where people can find your music. Do you, are you your social? Speaking of internets, yes, exactly. Where, where where can we find your stuff? Well, I mean, I'm on all the platforms. Um, Apple Music, um, Amazon, uh, you know, Deezer, the, the whole, the whole. Um, and it's Stephen S T E P H E N, Y, and then Surrender to Love album. But there's also um. There's a Love Cures album, and then just you just just look up Stephen Wise, and you'll see all my albums. All right. But this particular piece of work is on the Surrender to Love album, and yes, that's that's on all the platforms. And my social media handles, and my my YouTube channel. I actually did a video on this song Aquarius Dawning, so that's all Stephen Wise music. Stephen Wise music. That's my handle. That's my social media handle. Very easy. All right. Nice. Got it. Well, thank you so much for being with us tonight. It was so nice talking to you and and hearing hearing more about about your music and and what you're up to these days. And it's great to see you. And thanks thanks for joining us and and turning Always our listeners on to you. Always an honor and a pleasure. Absolutely. Always. 
you know, y'all are some of my favorite people. So, you know, I'm honored to be here. Well, thanks for tuning in, everybody. We hope you have a great rest of your weekend. As always, if you have any thoughts or ideas about things you would like us to talk about on our show, please drop us an email at whatdoyouknowgtown at gmail.com or find us on our social media, which is What Do You Know About That on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great evening, everyone. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks.